0: Good morning. Last week, we started a new series I'm calling Postures of the Kingdom. We're looking at a passage at the beginning of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, and uh, uh, the passage is called the Beatitudes. And in this passage, Jesus is describing various heart postures for the kingdom of God. And I want to read through the passage, and then we're going to pick up where we left off last week. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now we're going to look at a couple of the other Beatitudes uh, today, but before we get into that, I wanted to do just a real quick review of the word blessed, since we find that word at the beginning of each one of these nine Beatitudes. And we saw last week that biblically... One is pronounced blessed or blessed when God is present and involved in their life. So when Jesus said, blessed are those who, he's saying those who do these things, those who live this way are showing that God is actively working in and through their lives and with his favor. So keep that in the back of your mind as we talk about today's Beatitudes. We're gonna go through two of them. The first one is, Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Once again, we find that the word meek in, uh, is not an easy word to translate into the English. Our English word for meek just seems so watered down. It, it doesn't convey the fullness of meaning uh, that is in the original language. So. Um, I want to talk about that. I mean, it can mean the absence, uh, they have the idea of the absence of pretension. Um, often we equate meekness with being weak or weakness, but they're not the same. Um, in fact, they can be quite opposite. It's more like, I guess you could say, it's, it's more like gentleness combined with self-control, has to do with our attitude toward others. It's when our attitude is free of malice and a vengeful spirit. It's free of those things. You know, a gentle person or a meek person is not quick to lash out and get back at someone when they're hurt. Um, their strength is, is under control. It's an attitude of humility that comes from our complete dependence on God, which we talked about last week when we talked about being poor in spirit, how that has the idea of one who recognizes that they are utterly spiritually bankrupt without Jesus. Um, And from that comes a humility and a complete dependence on God. So uh, uh, it has that, that attitude of humility that comes from that. Uh, Meekness is gentleness without aggression. It takes a strong person to exercise self-control. And Jesus said that this person, the person of humility, the one who is gentle, the one who is humble and not aggressive, and who depends on the Lord rather than themselves, the one who has their strength under control, this person will inherit the earth. And the phrase inherit the earth is a reference pointing to the new heaven and the new a uh, new heaven and new earth that's going to come at the consummation of all things when the kingdom of God arrives in all of its fullness. All of its fullness it says the meek will inherit the kingdom and thus will rule the world with Christ. <laughs> I'd like to give one final um translation of verse 5 which kind of takes all these other various meanings of the word and translated meek and combines them all together. It helps to really draw out the fullness of what's being said here. And this is from Scottish theologian William Barclay and the language may be a little bit old but um, li- li- listen to what William Barclay says how, how he translates it Oh the bliss of the man who is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time, who has every instinct and impulse and passion under control because he himself is God-controlled, who has the, the humility to realize his own ignorance and his own weakness, for such a man is a king among men. Interesting. Angry at the right time, Never angry at the wrong time. But when is the right time to be angry? Is there a right time to be angry? When is it? Barclay explains that as a general rule, it's uh, uh, not when insult or injury is done to us personally, but rather when we see injury done to others. In other words, when we see injustice. I mean, think of Jesus overturning the the money changers tables at the temple uh, 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 because the people were being cheated. In other words, the right time to be angry is when we see injustice done to others. Now, keep that in mind as we move to the next beatitude. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness... Verse six says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So what is righteousness? Once again, we're talking about a relational term. In the Greek, it comes from the same root word as the word justice. You see, righteousness and justice are so closely related that they can't really be separated. In fact, N.T. Wright in his Kingdom New Testament translates verse 6 this way. He says, Blessings on people who hunger and thirst for God's justice. You're going to be satisfied. Interesting word, justice. We hear it all the time these days in the news, and protest marches, and TV, and we hear it all the time. Justice for George Floyd, justice for Breonna Taylor, justice for Ahmaud Arbery, no justice, no peace. But what does that actually mean? The term has been used so freely and indiscriminately lately that its meaning has become obscured. For some, it means vengeance, retribution, revenge. But is that its true meaning? Not really. So I want to clarify what we're talking about today, that what we're talking about is biblical justice. When we use the term justice, we're talking about biblical justice, justice in God's eyes. I've got a video from our friends at the Bible Project that will help clarify what the Bible is talking about when it talks about justice. So let's take a minute, uh, a couple of minutes, and watch it now.
1: If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate.
2: And if you are a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care.
1: If you are a panda with twins, it is normal to abandon one to take care of the other.
2: But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that. But we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others.
1: Yeah, self preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them.
2: And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families, and then in communities, and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing
1: righteousness and justice. Doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use. But what comes to mind is being a good person.
2: But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them.
1: Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way
2: more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social
1: structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life.
2: Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. like. Here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your
1: mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he
2: thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God.
1: So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God.
2: Yes, it is what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves.
1: So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of
2: the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did
1: for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways.
2: Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others.
1: This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as
2: yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you humans what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God.
0: In the video we just saw, injustice was illustrated by people being pushed lower and justice by people being raised up. And I thought that was a really good way of illustrating it. Tony Evans says biblical justice is the equitable and impartial application of the rule of God's moral law in society. There is no clear and right definition of justice that excludes God. And then he goes on to say this, So at the heart of biblical justice is the impartial application of God's moral law within all realms of society, including economic, political, social, or criminal justice. Any other definition of justice won't suffice. So when we're talking about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for justice, We're talking about desiring to be in right standing with both with God and with people. Justice is not vengeance. Justice is not revenge. Justice is not seeing that people get what's coming to them. Justice is not a a free ticket to live however you want in spite of what God's Word says. None of those things are justice. Justice is not a bandwagon to jump on. It's a kingdom principle to live out. Remember, we said justice is the impartial application of God's moral law within all realms of society. The key word there is impartial. And if you take God out of the picture, you don't have true justice. It has to do with every person being treated with fairness and impartiality and dignity because they are made in the image and likeness of God. We're talking about living uprightly before God, in righteousness, living uprightly before God, and treating every human being with dignity, regardless of ethnicity, gender, social status, or any other identifier. We treat everyone with dignity because they are created in the image of God. It means caring for marginalized people in our community. As believers, the issue of justice should be on every single one of our hearts and minds because that's what's on Jesus' heart. To not care about justice is to not care about Jesus because Jesus is all about justice. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst thirst, those who have an intense longing and desire for righteousness and to see justice lived out in the land, for they will be satisfied. They will see God's purposes accomplished and eventually see his rule and reign in its fullness. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not right away, but that day is coming when Christ will return and rule with justice. Blessed. The hunger and thirst for justice is evidence that God is active and working in our lives because justice is the very thing that God wants. Speaking about Jesus, the book of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 1.8, Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. And you will rule your kingdom with justice and righteousness. One translation says the scepter of justice is the scepter of your kingdom. So you may think, okay, but what can I do? What can I do to promote justice? Where, where, where do I start? If I, I, I'm interested in this. I'm interested in learning more about it. Where do I start with this? I want to give you just some practical thoughts, practical ideas. One, determine to get, go beyond the rhetoric and learn about the issues. Learn about them. Don't just stop with quips and quotes and, and, and rhetoric, but learn about the issues. Learn to differentiate between racism and prejudice because they're not identical. Did you know that the Merriam-Webster Dictionary is currently in the process of revising its definition of racism to reflect the fact that racism is not only prejudice against a certain race due to the color of a person's skin, but that it is both prejudice combined with social and institutional power. It is a system of advantage based on skin color, where one group has an advantage over another group based on the color of their skin. So get to know the issues. Learn to differentiate between racism and and, and prejudice. Get beyond the rhetoric and and, and learn what you can. Second thing, pray and ask God to, 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 to search your heart. Tell him to search your heart and to show you where you may have been a participant in injustice, knowingly or unknowingly. We have to be open before him. We can't just say, well, this isn't me. I don't have a problem with this. On to the next thing. Maybe we don't have a problem with it. Maybe it isn't something that has affected our lives that we can see. But let's, let's at least be honest enough before our Father and say, search my heart. Check out my heart. Lord, is there anywhere where I have been participating in injustice, knowingly or unknowingly? And then third, educate yourself. Learn what you can. Read books. Listen to podcasts. Be open. Be teachable. Listen more than you speak. There's one cast podcast in particular I can uh, recommend. It's called Love Thy Neighborhood. Um, I, I I've listened to all of them. It's an excellent podcast, excellent source for how we can live out social justice in our neighborhoods. Love thy neighborhood. So educate yourself, read what you can, listen to what you can, be open and be teachable. That means, like as I said, listening more than you speak. Fourth thing. Read what the Bible says about justice. Get a good concordance and look up the word justice and just go through and read all the passages. I'll give you three to start with. Isaiah 117, write that down. Isaiah 117, read that, see what it says. Isaiah 58, the whole chapter is good. Look at that, read that, study it, see what God is saying about how, the, how to treat the marginalized of our society. And Micah 6.8, simple but powerful verse. Micah 6.8, read those, study them. Do a search and learn all you can about what the Bible says about how we are to treat marginalized people, those who society oppresses, those who society takes advantage of, those who society tries to silence and, and uh, uh, ignores. And then the fifth Spend some time with someone who's different than you. Someone who's different than you. Spend some time with them. Get to know them. Get to know their story. Life. Listen to them. Learn their, their life story. Learn their history. Just with the purpose of getting greater understanding. Determine to make a difference. Determined to be the difference. Let's pray. Search my heart, Lord, for any judgments, attitudes, words, and practices that are not pleasing to you. Search my heart for those things. Expose them to me and root them out. I don't want them there anymore. If it's not pleasing to you. I don't want it in my life. Lord, give me eyes to see every person as you see them. Give me a heart to love every person as you love them. Give me a mind to understand people who are different than me and to hear them with my heart. Help me to remember that As I treat others, that's how I'm treating you. And in the words of the prophet Amos, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And now I want to give you the benediction. Once again, from Romans 15, 13. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We love you. We miss you. Have a great week. Now let's share one more worship song before we go.